Good morning, church. Good morning, and wow, Merry Christmas. It's here. Christmas is just a few days away, and what a great morning of celebration. And praise God for those being baptized and just seeing life change before our eyes. It is so awesome and so exciting, and I just love Christmas. I just love this time of year. I love singing the carols. I love being together in church and in worship. We're in a great series called The Sounds of Christmas, and we've said that there's some sounds that are unique to this season, right? And whenever you hear the Salvation Army bell being rung and you kind of think, generosity, right? I heard that, that they need to be generous, need to help others. Or you hear the ho, ho, ho of jolly old St. Nick and you think, fun, I need to enjoy this season, right? And, or whether you hear the carols being sung and you're reminded, hey, it really is about Christ. You know, it is his birthday we celebrate. It's about Jesus. I mean, those sounds trigger something in us. But there's also sounds that define the season. And there's sounds like this, a cry. 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the sound that breaks the silence is not a trumpet or a stallion or a victory dance. It's the sound of a cry, a baby, God coming to us. The God of the universe wrapping himself in flesh and coming to us. Those he created or the sound of laughter and in a proclamation, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And just knowing that this is a time of joy. And we let all these things worry us. We let all these things steal our joy and rob our laughter. But that we would laugh and enjoy the people God's put around us and enjoy Him at Christmas. And last week we talked about the sound of love. The, the sound of saying those words, I love you. The, the sound of a hug, the sound of a kiss, the sound of being there for one another. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That's Christmas. And Jesus said, no greater love is any man than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. And so we know we celebrate Christmas because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And that it's all about love. Love is what separates Christianity from every major world religion. It really is. There's a God of love, and there's a God who's come to us. Every major world religion is about man trying to get to God, but Christmas and Christianity is God coming to us. And today, the sound of awe, the sound of awe. Do you remember a time in your life when you were just speechless? You know, when you, you just, it was just like your breath was taken away. You just stood there. I remember one time, it was years ago, and I was on a mission trip in Budapest, Hungary, and we had been working there uh, with some people, and then we boarded a train, and we took an all-night train to Interlochen, Switzerland. And here, I grew up in Texas, okay? It's flat, right? And all of a sudden, in the morning, I wake up, and we're in the middle of the Swiss Alps. And I just walked out of this train station and went, whoa. I mean, like, literally, whoa, wow. I mean, it was stunning. I mean, snow-capped mountains, beautiful sunny day, and it's just like, it took my breath away. You ever had that time? Maybe it's in the Smoky Mountains and you see the colors that change in the fall and you just look out and you're like, wow, uh, that's amazing, you know? Or maybe it's the first time you went to the ocean and you stood on the beach and you looked at the vastness of the ocean and just went, wow. But maybe, maybe it was a sunset. And in your mind, you can still picture it, right? There was this, this sunset and you were somewhere, you're on vacation or you were even here and this sunset just etched in your mind just the beauty and the splendor you're like whoa wow that awe maybe it's a moment 
And maybe for you, you love this certain musician, you're at this concert, and you're just like, wow, you're watching somebody do their art, or you like athletics, and you see somebody make a play, and there's just, there's just something in you that's like, i got to respond to that, or that moment. You know, as a pastor, I've done a lot of weddings, and you stand there, and there's a moment that happens in a wedding when everybody's in place, and then everybody in the congregation stands up, and here's the groom standing right here, and the back doors of the church just slowly open. And all of a sudden, that groom looks back, and he sees his bride, and he's just like, wow, his little lip starts quivering, right? You know, he's like, wow. I mean, it's just this moment. You're like, whoa. Or maybe being in a hospital room. First time you had a child, and you were there. Or maybe it was a grandchild, or maybe it was a niece or a nephew, and you just looked at that little baby and just went, wow, speechless. There's nothing to say. It's just a moment of awe. That's the sound of Christmas. Awe. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We've been walking through this one chapter of the Bible, the first book, New Testament, Matthew chapter 1. If you have a mobile device, you can access the scriptures online or we'll put the scripture on the screen. But this is the defining point, right, of history. I mean, really, when you get to Matthew chapter 1, this splits history in two. Everything before B.C., right? Everything after A.D. Jesus came and split history in two. Everything changed. In Matthew chapter 1, we've just been walking verse by verse. And we saw verses 1 through 17, the genealogy. As Matthew says, hey, look at God's redemptive story in the world. Look at God's redemptive story from the Old Testament and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the way through David and Solomon and even after the Babylonian exile. All this was leading up to the Messiah. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah. Christ has come. And everything's changed. And then we see in verse 18 where it says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married, but before they came together. She was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And so you have Joseph and Mary, and they're in this engagement period, and, and Mary goes to Joseph and says, hey, Joe, I'm, I'm pregnant. And Joe's like, what? You know, and it's like the Holy Spirit, I promise. And Joe's like, right, you know, and I mean, it's just got this dynamic thing happening here. And Joseph loved God, and Joseph loved Mary, and he's trying to figure out what to do. And so an angel of the Lord came to him and said, Joseph, <laughs> I got a big plan for you i got a big plan for the world. Look at verse 22. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. When you look at this in verse 22, it says, all this took place to fulfill. You know, that word fulfill, you, you see the whole Old Testament is fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is leading up to Jesus. There's over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament written hundreds of years before Christ is born. 300 prophecies all come to fruition in Jesus. Now the probability of that happening is astronomical, okay? But they're all fulfilled. And 47 times, 47 times, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament. He quotes scripture. And he says right there at verse 23, right? The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This goes back to Isaiah 7, 14. 
In Isaiah 7.14, which was this prophecy that was written 700 years before Jesus, it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 700 years before. Now, I don't know if you know this, but virgins don't have babies. You know, I mean, it just doesn't happen, right? And so when it says the Lord will give you a sign, the virgin will be with child, everybody's like, what? You know, what are you talking about? The virgins don't have babies? Until 700 years later, <laughs> and the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. It hadn't happened since, right? The perpetual virginity of Mary is not taught here, too. You know, it says that Joseph and Mary had union afterwards, but you see in Christ the divinity Jesus, fully God. He didn't have the seed of sin that was passed down from generation to generation from man. He was born of a virgin. But you also see the humanity of Christ, that Jesus lived 33 sinless years. He can identify with what you go through. He can identify with our struggles. He knows our heartaches. And he died on a cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine. The divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ here in the incarnation. And you know what that should fill us with? Awe. Wow. God, you are amazing. God, you love me that much. Here's a definition of awe. If you look it up, it says this. A feeling of reverential, a feeling of reverential, I love that word, right? Respect mixed with fear or wonder. A feeling of reverential respect even in the definition of awe, you see reverence. You see this God-inspired moment. You see that the God is doing something greater, even in the definition of the word. Here's what happens with awe. Three things. Number one is this. Awe gives us a greater vision. Awe gives us a greater vision. Look at verse 24. It says, when Joseph woke up, when Joseph woke up, right, all of a sudden, Joseph woke up to a greater vision for his life. Joe's got all of his plans. He's kind of living his life. He's doing his thing. And God meets him and gives him a greater vision for his life. See, that's what happens in those moments of awe, isn't it? You stand there looking at the Swiss Alps or the Smoky Mountains or the Grand Tetons, and you're just like, whoa, you are God and I'm not. I mean, <laughs> Wow. It just explodes out of you. Wow, you stand on the ocean, right? You're standing on the beach. You're looking at the ocean. You're just thinking God's faithfulness. Wave after wave after wave. God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. You see the sunset and the brilliant colors. And you think about the creativity of God. Or you look at your spouse. And there's those moments that you just go, wow. Wow, there's a commitment here. It's deeper than just what we see on the outside. There's a commitment of us sharing life together. You look at a child, there's just, there's just a greater vision for your life. That God is bigger. That God is doing something greater. Over in Luke chapter 2, there were some guys who kind of got this. In Luke chapter 2, there's a bunch of shepherds, right? And, and these shepherds were ordinary guys. Shepherds were kind of the blue-collar workers of the day. I mean, they were the ones out taking care of the sheep. They were the ones that were doing the all-night duty. They were the ones, you know, they were trying to make it to church. And they were getting in church, and they were consistent. But, man, they were always dirty because and, and, they were working all the time. And they were great guys. And these shepherds were out in the field living by their flocks nearby, and they're keeping watch over their flocks at night. And all of a sudden, in the midst of their kind of home life, in the midst of just the daily things that they do, 
Look at this moment of awe. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I'd be terrified too, right? I mean, all of a sudden, if a whole group of angels shows up. But verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now I love that God appears to a bunch of shepherds. Because a lot of times I think in our lives we kind of look at people in the Bible and we think, well, the, you know, those guys, they were special. You know, they were just different. You're like, no, God appeared to ordinary people back then, and God appears to ordinary people today. But people who are looking for him, people who are desiring to see him. It says, when the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And into this ordinary guise and into their ordinary life, God shows up. And God says to these guys, hey guys, I'm doing a big thing out there in the world, and I'm inviting you to jump in. Hey, guys, I want you to lift your head from the mundane. I want you to look up because there is something big happening at Christmas. There's something that I'm doing in the world. Joseph woke up to the fact. And in your heart and your life, have you been awakened to the fact that God is doing something greater in your life? Do you have a greater vision for what God wants to do in you and through you for his glory? In your life, are you just kind of going through the motions? Or have you said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God, you are here. And the shepherds, they returned glorifying and praising God. See, the only response you have when you have an encounter with God, the only response you have is worship. <laughs> you're just filled with awe, but you're filled with praise and adoration. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Do, do you remember your salvation experience? For those of you who are Christ followers that are here today, do you remember, do you remember the joy that was in you? You know what I love about baptism this morning? I mean, people are just so excited. Do you remember when you first came to know Christ? Do you remember what God was doing in your life? You remember you were just like, man, I can't wait. I can't believe this. God loves me. Even though I've blown it, even though I've messed up, listen, never lose that joy. Never lose that passion for God. Joseph woke up to the fact, and I pray that we would be awakened every day to what God's doing. See, awe, awe gives us a greater vision for our life. But awe demands a response. Number two is awe demands a response. He did what the angel came to him. He did it. He, he didn't just go, okay, well, I had this great experience with God, and now I'm going to kind of go back to my life and just live what I was doing. He followed. He trusted. You know, whenever you go to a concert, you have one of those, like, great moments. What do you, you don't just sit in your seat, do you? 
Or when you're at a sporting event, man, somebody makes a great play, you don't just go, yeah, check that out, that was pretty cool, whatever, that was fun, you know. What do you do? You just go, yeah, woo, that was awesome, that was good, oh, that was great, that was amazing. You see somebody who's so good in their craft, and you're just like, yeah, you know, you're just so excited about it. And I think sometimes <laughs> we give our affection and our adoration to things that are way too small. Because there's a God who just says, every day I'm putting on a display. I'm showing my creation. I'm showing my handiwork. Every day I'm at work in your life. Every day I'm providing for you. Every day I'm meeting your needs. Every day I'm doing something in you. And we can't just sit back. We've got to get involved in what he's doing. We've got to come alive in Christ. You know that prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7? If you turn back there in Isaiah chapter 6, this guy Isaiah gets, a, gets one of those moments of awe with God. This is pretty cool. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now that would be 740 B.C. 740 B.C. And Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So God comes to Isaiah and God just kind of peels back the curtain of heaven and says, hey, Isaiah, take a look. Take a look at what heaven's going to be like. Take a look at eternity. Isaiah's looking up there and he says, above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now the word holy literally means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means to be worshipped. The whole earth is full of his glory. And that's so true, isn't it? When you and I open our eyes to what God's doing in the world, man, we start to see God everywhere. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Can you imagine? Can you imagine looking up into heaven and getting this moment? And what happens with Isaiah? What does he do? Whoa! Woe to me, exclamation point. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, when you get this greater vision of God, you know what happens in our lives so many times is we, we have this recognition, but we also look and we see our sin. We see that God is holy, right? There is no one in the world like him. He is holy. He is perfect. He is sinless. And immediately, we're called to look at our own life. And we're called to see in our own life the, the sin in us. The sin in my thought life. The sin in my desires. The sin that's in me. And it says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The recognition calls us to repentance. You know, repentance means that I'm going one way. I'm living my life. And I turn and I come back to God. And Isaiah realized, wait a minute, he is God and I'm sinful. I can't be there. And yet, I need to be atoned for it. And so the seraphist takes the tongs, the coal from the altar where the sacrifices were made and says, listen, your guilt has been atoned for. In all of our lives, we need atonement. <laughs> and that's really why we celebrate Christmas, isn't it? There's a phrase called substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement, that's like kind of a big phrase, you know, but what does that mean? 
That means when we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, that God sent his son to take our place. That means that the wages of sin is death, meaning separation from God. And God sends his son, Jesus, to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Praise God. See, we all need a savior. We cannot atone for our sins. Try as we might, we can't do it. And in our hearts and our lives, there comes a time when you have to respond to God's grace. And to receive the gift that he's given you. I grew up playing sports. And, uh, and I remember in baseball, there were times when you get hit by a pitch, right? Or you would take a line drive off the leg. And, and it would be like, oh, you're like a little kid. And you're starting to cry. And your coach, you know, or your dad would say this. What would they say? Rub a little dirt on it and you'll be all right. And you're like, okay. You know, and so you're getting down dirt and you're rubbing on it. And they're like, doesn't that feel better? And you're like, no. You know, <laughs> but, but you're, you're thinking in your mind. But really, what are they saying? They're saying, toughen up. Come on. Be stronger. You don't need help. You are fine. And from a young age, we learned that. From a young age, we're learning, I don't need help. I don't need anybody. Until it comes to this whole point of sin. Until it comes to this whole point of disobedience. And we start to look inside and go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I need help. I need a savior. I can't do this on my own. I need a God to redeem and a God to restore. I got to repent. And the recognition calls us to repentance. And that's where we meet Christ. That's where God comes to us. To redeem and to restore, to make us new. And then that's followed by, look at this, obedience. Look at verse 8. Isaiah, after this repentance takes place in his life, verse 8, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. I love that, Isaiah, right? He doesn't even know what the assignment is. He just hears God saying, Well, well whom shall we send? And Isaiah's like, Me. Put me in, coach. You know, here, send me. I want to be a part of what you're doing. And when God redeems and restores your life, and when God meets you and gives you a greater vision for your life, you want to do what God has called you to do. And that's called living a life that pleases Him. That's called following Him. That's called growing in your relationship with God. It's called sanctification. It's called discipleship. It's a hunger after God. And then it's called being used for his glory. See, God has put you in a family for a reason and for a purpose. God has placed a child in your home, or God has placed grandchildren in your home, or God has placed nieces or nephews, or God has put roommates in your apartment for a reason and a purpose. And God is saying, I want to use you. I want to use you to tell them what Christmas is really all about. I want to use you to share my love and my grace. I want to use you to meet the needs of the broken and the poor and the forgotten. I want to use you. And oh, that we would be like Isaiah. Here I am. Put me in. I don't know, but I don't want to live a ho-hum life, God. I don't want to miss it. God, I want to live my life for you. And that leads to number three, which is this. Awe becomes the inspiration of your life. All becomes the inspiration of your life. Look at verse 25. It says, but, but Joseph, he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. 
And he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus. Salvation is here. Jesus. See, everything in Joseph's life changed, right? When Jesus entered into his heart and into his home. Everything in his life, man, all of his plans, everything changed for him. I tell people all the time, you know, like people get engaged and they're getting married. And I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. You know, I love being married. But it's just like kind of living with your best friend. Really not a whole lot changes in your life. You still have your social life. You still go out and do things. But when you have a child, everything changes, right? I mean, your whole social life comes to a stop because we got to be home by 7. we got this meeting. Everything changes with a child. I don't know if you saw this, but uh, just a couple of weeks ago, this was in USA Today. Mark Zuckerberg, right, founder of Facebook, and Dr. Phyllis Chan announced the birth of their daughter on Facebook. And in a letter to their newborn daughter, Max, the Facebook founder and chief executive and his wife pledged to give away 99% of Facebook shares in their lifetime, currently worth about $45 billion. That's a B, by the way. $45 billion to advance human potential and promote equality for all children in the next generation. Now, what would inspire Mark Zuckerberg and his wife to give away $45 billion? But a child. I mean, before, right? I mean, he's all about making as much money as he possibly can, right? I mean, he's all about let's rule the world. And all of a sudden, a child comes along and everything changes. And here's what happens in your life and in my life when Christ is born, not just in a stable, but when Christ is born in your heart, everything changes. Everything changes. And you have a new inspiration for your life, and you have a new calling for your life, and you have a new purpose for your life, and you have a new peace in your life, and you have a new joy that comes through Christ and through Christ alone. And if you're still living the ho-hum life, then you've got to go, whoa, wait a minute, have I really had an encounter with the living God? Because when you do, everything will change. And when you begin to understand the magnitude of the God, the creator of the universe, the one who sculpted the Swiss Alps, the one who carved out the Great Tetons, the one who scooped out the oceans, that same God comes to you. That's Christmas. And that's the greatest gift of all. And this past week, uh, I was talking with a lady, and she said, Pastor Jeff, you, you wouldn't believe the transformation that's happened to my husband. We've been coming to church for just a little while, but I've seen him come to know Christ, and he is not the same. And she had tears in her eyes. She goes, I just, I, I can't even begin to describe what's happened in our marriage, what's happened in our home. And I'm just listening to her going, yeah, I know. I got an email this week from somebody else who just says, I stand in awe of what God's doing in our church. And I saw that word awe, and I said, yeah, I know. I know, because that's what God specializes in. That's what God loves to do to meet us, to give us a greater vision, to call us to follow him, and he inspires us every single day. How often do you think Mary and Joseph just stood there with Jesus in their arms just going, wow, <laughs> can you believe this? <laughs> this is the Messiah. This is what we've all been waiting for, right? We studied about this in Sunday school, right? Over never, ah. How many times do you think Mary, as a mom, just stood there with awe watching Jesus pray, watching Jesus grow up. 
How often do you think in a family devotional, they just stood there, you know, they're going through the Old Testament, and Jesus is like, uh, Dad, I don't know if that's what that meant, you know? He's like, and, you know, just how many times did they watch him play in the neighborhood with other kids and just seeing his compassion? How many times did they just watch Jesus interact with people? What about Mary at the cross? watching her son die and hearing the centurion say, truly this is the son of God. And what about Mary when Jesus conquered death and came back to life? Wow. Listen, never lose that sense of awe. Never lose the wonder of Christmas. That there is a God who would leave the throne room of heaven and come to earth wrapped in flesh as a baby so that you could have eternal life with him. That ought to inspire you every day. That ought to call you every day to worship. That ought to call you every day to be the man or the woman that God created you to be. That ought to call you every day to work on your marriage or to work on your relationships, to love your children, to love your grandchildren, to love the people around you with everything you have. Because that God loves you. That's the awe of Christmas. Never lose it. And never settle for less than what God and God alone can do in your life. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. Maybe for you, Christmas has become about everything else but Christ. (laughs) I mean, really, you have been running around like crazy trying to get gifts and get them wrapped and get cards. Today, would you just take a deep breath? And would you remember what Christmas is all about? Maybe today is a day of salvation for you. (laughs) Yes, Christ has been born in a manger 2,000 years ago, but the real miracle is that Christ is born in hearts and lives today. And right where you sit, you can say, you know, God, I've blown it in my life. I know I've messed up. And God, I need a Savior. I can't atone for my sins on my own. God, I need you in my life. Maybe for you, you've kind of lost some of the awe and the wonder of Christmas. The stories become familiar. Today, would you allow it to inspire you? Inspire you to be who God's called and created you to be? To live life with confidence? To love unconditionally? To speak a word of hope and a word of joy? Father God, here we are today. We've gathered in your name to hear from you. We've gathered in your name to remember what Christmas is truly all about. Fill us today with wonder. Fill us today with awe. That we celebrate Christmas because Christ has come to us. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our mistakes, God, you have come to us. Emmanuel God with us. Father, thank you for Christmas. 
Thank you for that holy night that changed everything. And thank you, God, for changing our hearts and our lives. Fill us with joy, with peace. Fill us with Christmas. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen.